Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Last Drinks Podcast. A new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Ah, oh, hi friends. Welcome to Last Drinks. This episode, I'm appealing to the history buffs. Um, I thought it would be a really interesting idea to do an episode on the history of Australia's drinking culture. And look, I love a bit of modern history. I definitely did modern history in high school as one of my electives, two unit. I did three unit legal studies, just FYI. But I thought, you know, every conversation I have for this podcast, we get to this point where we go, yeah, and drinking is just so normal in our society. And from conversations I've had with people who have been on this podcast, who have gone out of Australia, who have either lived overseas or who are overseas, the perception is so real that Australia's drinking culture is a bit out of control. It's so normal to binge drink that we hear terms like it's un-Australian not to drink. And if, you know, if you, if you celebrate something and you don't have a beer in your hand, it's this thing of like, oh, you know, what are you doing? If you're not celebrating with a drink, there's something wrong with that equation. And I guess I've really tried to rack my brain on how this, how did we get to this point? How did we get to a society where binge drinking is so normalized? It's so encouraged. It's ingrained in our industry. It's something that for me growing up in the 90s and being a teenager in the 90s, it was just inevitable when you're 15, you're 16 and there's parties and there's booze and nobody educated me about the dangers of alcohol, about how my body was going to respond to booze at such a young age and how addictive it was. And so we have a really big problem with alcohol in this country, there's limited communication on how toxic and deadly it can be. And I've really started to do a bit of digging on how did this all start? So so come with me, if you will, and let's dive way back when. Let's dive into the history books. Let's dust off the Britannicas. Our very first Prime Minister, Edmund Barton, Toby, a.k.a. Tobes. Um, Yeah, okay, so he's the first prime minister in Australia. And according to an author, Matt Murphy, a historian, he was also, quote, an outright drunk. And if you look back at our early days of parliament, drunkenness 
was just accepted. And I think that back then in the colonial times, it was very normal. I mean, it still is normal. But when you think about things like this, so the first fleet set off from England 200 and something years ago and, um, you know, they set out to colonise Australia and on the ship they take two years' worth of carefully rationed food and four years' worth of rum. Like, push pause on the story right there. That's the priority and that's, I guess, where that's where we originated from as, you know, as a, as a country that was colonised. There was a culture here that existed before the first fleet arrived and I don't know that booze was even something that was a part of our Indigenous culture. It was it was put on boats along with people and sent here and there starts the catastrophic fallout and the really complicated relationship that this country has with alcohol. Four years' worth of rum, two years' worth of food. So I guess in the first few decades of Australia becoming Australia, the the Australia that we know today, it's, you know, booze is a part of the story. Alcohol is the currency. And I think if you wanted something done, you had to pay for it. And if you didn't have money, you could pay for it with alcohol. Alcohol was a currency. And I've got to say, we haven't come all that far from that idea when I think about how we get rewarded with alcohol. So I still work in the media industry and I was recently nominated for a radio award, which is actually really nice to be, you know, recognised for the, the work that I do doing my job. And um, everyone on my team got given a bottle of wine as a congratulations on your nomination gift. And because I don't drink, I got given a box of chocolates. Now, first of all, I want to say that I'm like super proud of our general manager for acknowledging that booze is just not something that I want to be given because I don't drink and I have a huge issue with alcohol in general in workplaces and and in society and, uh, you know, because I host a podcast called Last Drinks, she probably was like, maybe I won't give a bottle of alcohol to Maz. So I love that um, that our GM is so caring that she would make a decision to go, I'm the reward that I'm going to give this staff member is something that isn't alcohol. But for everyone else, they got a bottle of wine. And I was like, that's the currency that we just have. It's just, it's a thank you. It's a congratulations. It's a good on you. And you know what? Uh, my husband's a tradie and I know for a fact that sometimes if you don't have the cash for a cash job, you can just sling someone a cart and a beer and it's as good as gold. It's as good as getting paid. It, it you know, it has a value. We have a value system based on alcohol and it goes right back. It goes hundreds of years back to the very start of, of, using it as as a way to pay for things. This is pretty interesting. The New South Wales Corps or the um, the permanent regiment of the British Army became known as the Rum Corps uh, because they, they, lo- they made their own rum and they were making it from potatoes and peaches 
and they were making hooch. Um, and, you know, some some people died on the spot drinking some of this junk. Um, it was pretty nasty, but people were people have been trying to make their own backyard booze, moonshine, for years upon years. And I think in those days it was quite common to have rum to start one's day instead of coffee. I don't I don't even know when coffee got on the agenda. Um, but rum was just a way, it's just the way things were a few hundred years ago. This was where it all started. Yeah, so during the early years of the colony, alcohol is introduced to First Nations people and it has had knock-on destructive effects. As we know, it, it's a huge problem today as well. Um, the 19th century progressed and I think the demand for rum dropped off, but then you know other varieties of alcohol sort of became trendy. So in 1916, because, you know, there's there's some drinking culture stuff happening in the early 1900s that's not good, uh, something called the Six O'Clock Swill was adopted, which is just some rules that bars had to adhere to. So they had to close at 6 p.m. So I think this was, you know, one of the first moves to help people curb their alcohol consumption and it, this came into place during the First World War, and one of the reasons why is because um, there was this idea that if people on the home front were out, you know, having a good time and kicking on and having drinks, and then you know there are there are boys away fighting the war in France, that that's not fair. So the six o'clock swill was something that happened, um, I guess, so that. People could clock off at five and or clock off at six. Bars could close. In some states, that lasted right through until the 1960s. So then in 1965, the wine cask gets invented to preserve wine. That was the original conceptual idea for a wine cask, not to drink it more quickly. So obviously when you take the cork out of a wine, it starts to oxidise, which means essentially it starts to go off. Um, and so the wine cask is invented. It doesn't oxidize the wine so it can last longer, but also, you know, quickly it becomes just a convenient thing to stick over your head and pull the tap off, right? Another interesting thing that's pointed out is that um, John Norton was elected in a New South Wales by-election in 1898, and when he entered Parliament, he was drunk every day. It's just people were drunk every day. These were people making decisions to run this country and they were drunk and inebriated and rambled all the time. And Bob Hawke has said himself that his most endearing attribute to all Australians was his world record for drinking a yard glass. It's entered into the Guinness Book of World Records in 1954 he finished a yard of ale in 11 seconds while he was studying at the University College in Oxford. But then he gave up drinking when he went into Parliament and he has been off the booze ever since. So experts have said it's, you know, these centuries of heavy drinking in prominent industry and, you know, from the very inception of Australia as we know it as a colonised nation is the reason that drinking is so Closely interwoven with Australian culture. 
And I think that today, just from the some of the stats that, that we see, there's like this patchwork of drinking habits across various demographics in Australia, right? So there's an indication that some people in their middle age are drinking more than younger people and women are drinking more than men. People in the country drink more than people in urban areas. So the further away you go from a major city, the higher the drinking levels are and the higher the risky drinking behaviour is. And there are different drinking habits among Indigenous Australians who do often get lumped into one group. Um, Fewer First Nations people drink compared to the general community, but those that do drink tend to drink at higher levels. And then factors of colonisation, of course, stolen generation and trauma are all things that contribute and that are linked to that higher alcohol consumption. Yet things may be turning around because recently, you know, the rise of sober curiosity, it has become increasingly popular to lean into zero and low strength alcohol products and perceptions around alcohol are slowly starting to shift. And overall drinking rates are starting to go down and drinking is going down and it's being driven by young people. And this is positive news. So people in their 20s are still the heaviest drinking group, but fewer of them are drinking. So those that do drink are drinking less and they're starting later, which is a huge shift in behavior. So experts are saying that it's thanks to a mix of education, awareness and priorities. I think the wellness movement has been a big contributor to this and also understanding that alcohol is a poison and it can be so harmful to so many parts of your body and your brain. I think all of those messages are getting across to the younger generation, which is great. I think in general, the younger generations really are just so savvy. And I think that there is an understanding that alcohol is a drug and young people are just way more across the damaging effects of alcohol than people who were that age 20 or 30 years ago could ever be. I think this explains why. Like it's really important to try and understand the why. Like why does Australia have this relationship with alcohol that is so like hand in hand like Aussie 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 and downing the beers go hand in hand and all the big things that we love in Australia we love sport we love music we love live stuff we love socializing and it feels like we can't do those things without alcohol in Australia but I, I also really think that it, it is changing for the younger generations. There's so much more across the damages that alcohol can have. So the problem areas are people 30 plus um, who binge drink, who feel ashamed about their behavior and who don't understand why. It's so normal. Like I was in that trap where I was like, all I do is I go and I drink at certain different occasions I'm always drinking. It's so normal. Everyone's drinking. Why are we all drinking? And it was really difficult when I was in that loop. I was in that, I was so stuck in that place of get up, go to work, go out, drink a bit, 
wake up, be hungover, go to work, go out, drink a bit. I was so stuck in this loop. I didn't even know how to stop. So understanding that it's not your fault necessarily, and that's not to blame shift either. I think Owning your own shit is really important. I had to take responsibility for my relationship with alcohol, but I also had to accept it was my choice to drink every time I drank, but I never knew that I had that choice. I just felt like it was an expectation on me and I felt like that's just how we exist in society together and I didn't realize that sobriety was even a thing. And so not to blame caste and not to not take accountability, but I think to understand that it's been really hard. It's been hard to understand that there is another way to live because this relationship with alcohol was inherited hundreds of years ago. It was forced upon us. It was brought here and it was just the way the world was. But the world is changing. The way we interact with each other, the way we speak to ourselves, the way we value ourselves, the way we engage in society, it is shifting and progressing. And alcohol finally, I believe, is being called out for what it really is. It's toxic. It's a poison. It's risky there are zero benefits. It is harmful. It is destructive. It ruins people. We now know this stuff. And so knowing that and understanding that, you know what, we didn't really have much of a choice because it was just ingrained in our society from day one. But we know that now. And when we know better, we can do better. Understanding where it came from, recognizing that it is actually your own choice to drink, taking responsibility and accountability for your behavior around this drug and then moving forward and making positive change, that is like the three-step thing where we look at the history and go, okay, well, that's where we were, that's where we came from, and I wish it, it could have been better, but it was what it was. Here I am today making my own choices, and here I can be tomorrow making better ones is a really nice way to look at I guess the beginning parts of sobriety. I think acknowledging where it's been, where it's at, and where it's heading is just a nice little moment. And so, with that information, I think we can, as I said, not blame cast, but understand. Understanding where you've come from, understanding what's been handed down to you really helps you to become aware of what you have, what you've been given, and also to understand that you can put it down and pick something else up. You know, I say about shame, shame is so, so hard. I've lived in so much shame. My drinking brought me so much shame. But I remember after a few counselling sessions, I remember my counsellor said to me, you know, shame just weighs you down, babe. You can take off the backpack anytime you're ready. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm carrying all this junk on my back and I don't need to. And when you can take off that shame, there's this really cool thing that can happen. 
And for me, I had to take off that shame before I got sober. I had to really forgive myself for the choices that I'd made due to my dependency on a substance that I had no education about. I had no one helping me through. I was just navigating my way through big feelings, complex situations in life, adulting, all of the things. And once I was able to recognize that I wasn't, I had no coping strategies. I just had this big backpack of shame. I could take the shame away and get real and become aware of my relationship with alcohol and then I could make a really positive change. So I hope that this has been interesting for some of you. It was so interesting for me to research this. The article that I sort of took some of the facts for this little history lesson from is uh, on the ABC website. So I will post this if you want to read the full article. I encourage you if you've got the time. It is, it's so interesting, um, the history of our drinking culture in Australia. And I am really glad to be a part of the rewrite. I'm so excited about this podcast being one of the things that rewrites the narrative on the drinking culture in Australia. Thank you so much for all of your wonderful feedback. Remember, you can always send a DM. We're at Last Drinks Pod on Instagram. And out tomorrow is another wonderful chat about how to live the sober life and do it really well. Take care. I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.